This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 672, brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code iFanboy at checkout. And iFanboy listeners just like you. <laughs> episode 672 uh i am ryan haupt i'm sitting in this week for josh flanagan who's in my home state of florida and also the state where his second favorite movie was filmed which is jaws 2 if he comes back alive will be a miracle i'm sitting in for josh flanagan this week and my co-host not just this week but every week even when i'm not here is connor kilpatrick that's right in life <laughs> co-host in life i like that <laughs> that, that, that pretty well describes our relationship. Sure, like. yeah, absolutely. We are a fanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that book the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, other books from the week, patron pick, and maybe if you have some time, some listener mail. And it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be spoilerific. It's a review show. There's going to be some spoilers, so just use your better judgment. Be smart about it. You can do that. You got the forward 30 seconds on your podcast player. It's, it's not hard. <laughs> uh, this week, Connor, you had the pick. I did, and... This week, the pick was The Amazing Spider-Man 16, written by Nick Spencer, with art by Ryan Otley and Alberto Albuquerque, Cliff Rathburn, inked uh, a bunch of people, Cliff Laura Martin, Brian Reber, a lot of people, a lot of people worked in this book. It was a big team. It takes a village. This is The Road to Hunted. It's the prelude issue to the big Craven the Hunter storyline that's coming up, I guess, next issue. And this is an issue entirely... I mean, the main story, I keep forgetting because there is a backup story that's drawn by Alberto Albuquerque, but the main story is entirely about Craven the Hunter and his family leading us into what's going to happen next. And then Spider-Man shows up in the backup, and then there's a, a third sort of post-credits little sequence, too. Uh, a lot, there's a lot of content in this book. Yes. That's why there's so many people working on it. First of all, I was surprised, I guess, to see... Ryan Otley drawing it. I don't know why. At this point, I just assume to only expect him to draw one issue and then someone else comes in, but it looked terrific. He draws a great Craven. I was trying to figure out why this issue so stuck with me, and it was really good. The story was about Craven having a bunch of genetically grown children, and they all sort of fight for supremacy. One one of them is left alive. That's that's his his sort of favorite son, and then he reveals to his son that his kingdom has fallen to disrepair. Rich trophy hunters from the West have destroyed it, and he's going to exact his revenge on them using Arcade to concoct some sort of giant revenge scenario. And at the end, they have captured all, almost all, or maybe all of the animal-based villains in the Marvel Universe, and they're going to be hunted for sport by these rich people. And you have to assume that something there's some sort of twist here for the rich, because they're clearly hated by Craven. It was a fun story, but I think that I am trained at a biological level to attach significance to whenever Craven shows up. Yeah. As a kid, Craven was the, the last hunt. Yes, Craven's, Craven's last hunt. hunt came out when I was 10 reading Marvel Comics, Mike Zeck and J.M.D. Matias. And I can still see that famous cover of him in the foreground with the rifle and Spider-Man in the black suit on the ceiling behind him. And mm -hmm. it was such a seminal story in the, at that time in Spider-Man's life that Whenever he shows up, I, I get sort of DNA goosebumps. So I think that's part of the reason why I was like, all right, this is awesome. Because it really delved into Craven. He's an interesting villain. He's one of those people kind of like Ra's al Ghul in DC where, like, he's a bad guy. But also, you know, he's not necessarily entirely wrong <laughs> in this issue about the, the, the bad things that have happened to the environment because of wealthy people. And wanting to get revenge on them is not necessarily a bad thing. And poachers and ivory hunters and... All those people are bad, so he's sort of a guy who maybe has the right intentions, but he goes about it completely the wrong way, and that's what makes him interesting, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with these villains, with these hunters, and, and how it's all going to roll out. I think you're actually underselling Craven's Last Hunt as a Spider-Man arc. I feel like it's not just because it when it came out in your life. I think that is a seminal Spider-Man arc. Sure. Oh, for sure. I'm just saying I was at the time I was reading it. So it just as a kid, it's it's in my DNA now. Yeah, I but, think no, Craven for sure. It's, it's one of the most credit. famous Spider-Man stories of all time. Mm -hmm. 
Now, does Ryan Otley have something in his contract that he has to draw burly men with mustaches I, and their relationship with their sons? Is I that did, a thing? I did think that he looked very much like a, a Viltrumite. Yeah, grizzled, grizzled Omni-Man, for sure. Which is not bad. I mean, He does it really well, so mm-hmm. why not? I really loved the beginning sequence where he's got all these sons and he's training. They grow quickly. The, the, the high evolutionary you know, uh, cloned his sons and makes them, they grow quickly. So he's training them on his, on his little kingdom and they're, you know, the shooting bows and arrows and they're, they're hunting animals. And, and then one of the sons decides this is stupid and hunts all the other sons and kills them. And, and that, and, and this is a great scene where Craven is crying. He thinks it's, it's a tragedy that all of a sudden, all, all these skulls, this pile of skulls in front of him that were his sons. <laughs> he grabs his, he grabs the one left and says, I'm just, I've never felt such pride. And I was just like, that's, that was perfect. That was that was Craven, but also a great little twist. Mm-hmm. This was really good. And then you know, they've been having this sort of B story with with Lizard and his family and Spider Man, and it's not really that interesting to me. And I don't really dig the Alberta Albuquerque art in the backup all that much. So I didn't really respond as much to that particular story. Uh, I'm sure it'll play up. It's going to play out because Lizard's uh, son is kidnapped as part of this gathering of the animal hero so he'll be obviously be in the story so it'll all connect but i wasn't into that as much more of the big idea the first part felt very much like a nick spencer story like a like kind of a big political idea in a superhero comic that is very wacky you know arcade's wacky i also like the idea that arcade a who's mostly i consider him i associate him with with the x-men x-men yeah is is here in the spider-man story i always like that it doesn't happen as much as people think that they cross pollinate villains and heroes. But I, I did really like I, I like Arcade being like the guy that the other villains go to to make their big death traps. Well, and Spider Man is not a character who needs any more villains added to his roster. No. He's always had one of the most expansive and extensive villain lists in the Marvel universe. Yeah, I'm excited. And Ryan Otley is terrific. He's not drawing. So there's you know they put the checklist out for for this. This little Spider-Man story at the end. And first of all, they're adding in those dumbass decimal issues that they did a couple of years ago. What does the HU stand for? Oh, hunted. Okay. Got yeah, it. hunted story. So there's there's going to be a lot of these stories. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve issues in the next three months. Basically every week, almost. From a graphic design perspective, there's enough room in this checklist column that they could have put an NT on the end of that HU <laughs> to make it a little. It's just stupid. They did, what was the last? What was the event that did this for? I don't even remember anymore. That's how dumb it was. It doesn't remove my excitement for the story, and it's going to be drawn by Chris Bocello and Corey Smith and Ken Lashley. So a lot of different artists. They're not all high level, but I'm hoping that the current Marvel tendency to overindulge is not going to ruin the story. But I'm not going to worry about that right now because it hasn't. But it's also happened. like the checklist is just the next six issues. Or I guess, yeah, the H, that is weird that they're doing a 19 and then a 19 point HGO. But just keep, if you are already subscribed to Amazing Spider-Man, just keep getting Amazing Spider-Man and you'll get this story. It it's seems stupid. like they've overcomplicated. Yeah. They've overcomplicated it. Hermoto Ramos is going to be in there too. They're overcomplicating it. And by having an issue basically every week for the next three months, it's going to mean there's going to be a dip in quality for, the, for at least for the art probably. But that's modern comics right now. So there's not much you can do about that unfortunately. But in the meantime, this prelude issue is terrific. If you haven't been reading Spider-Man, it's great. Uh, you can jump on here, and, and if you want to get into this Craven story, Craven and Spider-Man are a great uh, pairing. He's a villain completely unlike almost all the other villains Spider-Man faces with a different skill set. He's just a lot of fun. He wears that ridiculous, over-the-top costume that is so great. He's a classic Spider-Man villain, and I really enjoy all of his appearances. Agreed. And then Otley is—I mean, he's—he was the guy that was really, made me really excited when they initially announced him as the artist in the book. And obviously, as a bi-weekly book, he's not going to draw it all. He couldn't even do it all monthly for Invincible. He had to have Cory Walker step in every few issues, which is totally fine. It's just unfortunate now we get him, you know, just every so often. But it does feel special when he's drawing the issue. Yes. So Spider-Man's in a great place. Yeah, hopefully they don't they don't tank it with all these issues. But right now it's, it remains one of my favorite books. I'm always happy when it comes out. Oh, the, I want to mention the cover. The cover was by uh, Cully Hamner, and it's also really, really good. Sort of a, a sad, silhouetted craven with a bunch of photos knifed to the wall. Oh, it looks like he's in Central Park, actually. <laughs> this is good. This is really good. I'm just happy to read a really well, well, hopefully it's a really well thought out, really really fun Craven story. If this is, if this prelude's any indication, I'm sure it will be. Nice. I too am excited. 
Another issue that was up there for Pick of the Week was Fantastic Four number seven, Dan Slott, Aaron Cooter with John Lucas. I'm not sure how that broke down. You know, much like Craven, you, know, you need a good villain in your story, and Galactus is great, and Doctor Doom is great. I love Doom and Reed at scientific odds with each other. They both have good ideas. They're both really smart, and they both want to save the day with their brains. And so it's great when they sort of have to team up, and then they have to maybe in conflict that way. So I really thought this was a ton of fun, this issue. Yes, a special shout out to the idea of a Big Bang cannon. Makes no sense, but <laughs> it's just a hell of a fun thing to say out loud. I like that Reed identified it immediately. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like it did anything special. It was like, oh, singularity cannon. It's like, how did, how, how did you even know that? Yeah. I am consistently amused by the people of Latveria completely unironically loving Doom. So there's like a moment where Doom tells Sue Storm to go protect some of the villagers. And they're like, oh, the master is so thoughtful for sending her to protect us. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's great. I think this book is still suffering a little bit from the problem we mentioned last time of the kids don't really have a role in this. And in this issue, the kids acknowledge that they don't have a role. And that's kind of frustrating because they should be more involved, but they keep kind of getting sidelined for being kids. Mm hmm. That beat, I don't know. I'm just a little, t- I'm a little tired of that beat, but it sounds like they're building to something. So yeah, I'm I mean, they're, to let they're, they've out. been aged up, so they're teenagers now. They're clearly, I mean, they're, they're trying to get involved. I like, I did like the scene though where they try to go help, so they they take apart the classic car to build a teleporter. I mean, that was funny. I'm just having a lot of fun with the Fantastic Four being back together right now because it has been a long time. We are, we haven't gotten a ton of issues yet since they've been back, even though it's issue seven. They're just great together. I loved Johnny with the with the Herald of Doom character. This is just a great team. And Aaron Cooter's art is wonderful. Dan Slott is not a writer I always respond to, but I think he really works with these characters. And the thing punching Galactus in the knee really hard is funny. Yes, as is, and I can't believe I've never seen it before, Reed making his hand look like the ultimate nullifier. (laughs) To try to trick Galactus. Which is a valid point. Like, the whole thing with the first issue with Galactus is that Reed made the ultimate nullifier as a threat that if Galactus ever comes back, Reed's going to obliterate him. Right. Your threat's only as good as your willingness to use it. I mean, he hasn't been willing to use it yet. There's a type of sugar, a uh, type of milk sugar called galactose. I always think about that with Galactus. Is it good? I mean, it's milk sugar. So depend- if you can digest it, you know, not, not everyone can digest milk sugars into adult adulthood. It's part of yeah. being a mammal. How is the science in this book? Why would you rate the science in this book? It's fantastic and fun and dumb. Like Fantastic Four, you want big, wacky science ideas. Like, just, yeah, go for it. Comics always does weird things with, like, energy signatures and, you know, just anything can be disassembled and turned to anything else. But I'm, I'm along for the ride with a book like Fantastic Four. The, the biggest science problem I had this week was uh, Rocket Raccoon's teeth in Avengers No Way Home <laughs> not correctly drawn for a prosionid. So yeah. unless maybe, maybe his teeth got modified when he got all his money. That's true. He's not really fully raccoon anymore. That was, but you know, it's that's something I noticed because that's who I am as a person. This is one of the better Marvel books being published. I mean, they've, they've been gone a long time. You sort of forget how long the Fantastic Four have been gone. So they missed the entire good guy Galactus period. And was, a lot of the good guy Doom. Right. And when he was, well, I don't know if Doom's entirely ever, well, I guess he was good when he was. Yeah, the whole arc with Bendis. You're right. When he was, uh, invest, was it Infamous Iron Man? What was it called? Yeah, something like that. The whole gold Galactus thing was interesting, and that was a fun scene where the, you know that was revealed to Reed, and he was his mind was sort of blown by it. It just you want when when a Fantastic Four and Doom and Galactus are in a story, you want it to feel big, and this felt even though they're fighting on you know in Latveria in on Earth, it, it felt like a big story. I liked it. Yeah. Now, have you been reading Detective Comics? I caught up on this arc just for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is at the level of the getting added to the pet peeve list, but. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to catch up on arcs when they have stopped including what part in the story it is. So all you get is like in the previous issue, it'll say like coming next, you know, mythology or whatever the name of this arc was. And then you'll get an issue that's obviously the conclusion, Mm -hmm. but there's no numbered parts. And when they do all the credits at the back, I have to like flip through the entire issue before I can even see if there wasn't a part one, part two, part three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I caught up, but I was, I was a little salty about it, Connor. I think the indication was on the cover. No, they had the countdown to 1,000 on the cover. Right. I think that's been the arc, right? 94 to 99. Yeah, that was what I ended up figuring out, but it yeah. wasn't, wasn't immediately obvious to me. A pet yeah. peeve, admittedly, but no, no, it's that's, fine. That's a, that's, a, that's a fine pet peeve. I just want to know where to start reading. Great variant cover by John Byrne. Don't see his art 
hardly ever anymore, personally. I would like to point out that, as I predicted in the first issue, none of this was real. That Leslie Tompkins yeah. did not, in fact, get killed. And Alfred did not, in fact, get stabbed. Batman's been hallucinating a lot lately. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good way to go into the psyche. I know my Floridian co-host Josh hates these kind of stories. I like them a lot. It's a good way to explore the character's psyche. But, I mean, it, it was fairly obvious to me in the beginning. There was no way they were going to, without fanfare, kill off one of the biggest, most important characters in the Batman mythos. So here it's revealed that Batman has been inside this sort of self-created program in a back-to-tank in the Batcave where he has been sort of... It's hard. I mean, the, the, the biggest problem for me is I couldn't really figure out exactly why he was doing it. Something about his birthday. Every year on his birthday, he, like, psychologically... He psychologically himself tortures out. himself. Like, it just was yeah. weird. There is a good double-page spread with all the different Bat-era costumes lined up, and I'm a sucker for any panel that does that. Sure, if, if, if it completely doesn't make any sense, because in the New 52, he's not worn any of these costumes. <laughs> We get to make our own continuity. Sure. Uh, nothing makes sense and nothing matters. It's a great page. I have the same feeling you do, but it's just like he never wore these costumes. It has not yeah. happened. It doesn't matter. Nothing makes sense. But, you know, Peter Tomasi's got a good handle on the characters. Doug Monkey and his cadre of Thousand Inkers is really good. And I, you know, the idea that he's basically haunted by everyone he couldn't save. And and at the end, he looks at all the pictures of everyone in Gotham who had murdered that year. And, you know, they remind him that every year the murder rate goes down in Gotham. He says, until it's zero, it doesn't matter. That was good. I went to Eastern State Penitentiary in uh, Philadelphia mm-hmm. like a year ago, and it's pretty like, amazing. As were a, you as a incarcerated museum. for? No, uh, it was my wife and I's anniversary. <laughs> you went to jail. <laughs> we went. She really, she's a museum person, and she really mm-hmm. wanted to see it. It's supposedly an amazing museum, and it turns out it really is. And they actually had an exhibit uh, that reminded me of that that scene in the comic because there's an exhibit that's all about the victims because so often with like the true crime obsession we're focused on the criminals yeah and we forget about the victims sure. and so yeah it's actually a good museum people of philadelphia and surrounding regions go check it out the ending was sweet where alfred and bruce and leslie go out to have dinner and do you yeah. vote are you do you want the indian that leslie and alfred want or do you want to go to mazakelli's presumably italian restaurant i feel like mazakelli's is the way to go okay it was sweet you know this is the kind of thing you do leading up to anniversaries you do you do kind of a look back as Bruce was in this hallucination, dealing with the important people in his life, and here he's actually fighting himself versus a child, and then the, his adversary gets older and older and older. Are you more excited for Detective Comics 1000 than you were for Action Comics, or what's uh, can we get a, a ranking going into it? Action Comics 1000 has some really, really great stories, so my excitement level might be higher now only because I know... They pulled it off once. The, they did a really good job with Action 1000, so hope, I'm hoping they'll do a similarly good job with Detective 1000. It's legitimately big issues. You know, some of those stories in Action 1000 were just, I still think about. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm, ha- I'm happy. This arc was good. It was solid. It was a good lead in. I mean, you, I mean, this might be the definition of treading water. And it's fine for me as long as the, the treading of the water is interesting. If you're leading into issue 1000, you've got to kind of have to tread water. You can't really do anything big beforehand because you've got to stop for an issue and, and do the anniversary things. You might as well give... Tomasi and Monkey a chance to tell an interesting story about, you know, the psychological aspects of Bruce's mission and also the people around him and how important they are to it. This is what the Damien is in, right? Yeah. Even though that kind of ruined it at the end, but whatever. He's stupid. All right. Well, we got Maneaters number six, a story by Chelsea Kane, art by Kate Nemizic. Sorry if I got that wrong. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by recent interviewee on Talksplow, Joe Caramanga. Mm-hmm. Are you still reading this? Yes, I am. What are your thoughts on this miniseries? I really like this. I really like this series a lot. I think it's very clever satire. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of nice to have an indie book that's not like J.J. Abrams' mystery box style. It's just kind of a good story. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there will be things that are revealed about this world, but that's not the point of the entire story. And I feel like a lot of indie books lately have kind of been using that trope. But I just, yeah, I think that the satire in this is really clever. The characters are really interesting. I don't necessarily buy the dad as a cop. Yeah, I don't. The teenagers read as very believable teens and the world where fragile masculinity has to be protected against these female cat monsters. I don't know. It's just hilarious. I think it's really funny and clever. And it shows the ridiculousness of some sex-biased arguments when all you do is swap out the word girl or woman for cat. Yeah. And I, and I like I like the premise that like toxoplasmosis, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. it's a real parasitic disease that most people have been exposed to, 
I like the conceit that if it mutated, you would get this weird werecat leopard monster child hybrid thing. So I really enjoy it. I love the art. It's a really funny book. My only two concerns, one, I agree with you. I think the dad does not read as a cop at all. Two, then this issue sort of addressed it in that there really hasn't been a story. It's been more like a series of gags. Yeah, I can see that. And they've been fun and funny, but this is the first issue where we've really gotten a sense of there is actually a story happening here. There's a mystery where all these girls in the middle school receive these pencils and the pencils are all colored pencils and they have the wrong colors written on them. So they all gather together and and they need to figure out who gave them the pencils because they all showed up on their windowsills and where they come from and why they all mislabeled. So that is actually a story that's happening now because previous to this, it really hasn't been one. It's sort of just been bouncing from scene to scene. Uh, So I'm looking forward to now seeing what the story of this book is. Six issues in might be a little late for that, but I'm, I'm on board with it. Well, they did have that one issue that was like the, the in-world magazine issue that mm-hmm. I thought was hilarious, uh, page after page. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very creative book. It's just, this was the issue. I was like, oh, good. Finally, we're getting to a place where there's a story. And I guess the, the thing is they gathered with these pencils and they're, they're taking like self-defense classes in a, in a shelter at the pencil shop. It's really interesting that this book is being written by a woman who was publicly run off of Twitter by misogynist trolls. Mm -hmm. So like this to me feels, you know, like very sweet revenge, not even revenge, but it's just like, this is exactly the kind of book that I think you can bring to the forefront after having that actual lived in experience and have it mean something even more. Mm -hmm. There's a very authentic strain running through it. It's really solid. This was a really good issue. This is one of my favorite issues of the series so far. Nice. Shazam number three, Jeff Johns, Dale Eaglesham, and Marco Santucci, and Mayo Sinaito. I don't know how that broke down exactly. This is a weird book, and I want to know what you think about it, because I, I don't know what to make of it. So, it's really nice to have Eaglesham back on interiors. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy his art. I feel like Jeff Johns has been dancing around the edges of making the Marvel family split up more in their like power sets than they had been previously. Cause I guess it used to be, you had Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, and then some other randos, but they all basically just had slightly lesser versions of mm-hmm. Captain Marvel or Shazam or the big red cheese, mm-hmm. uh, cheese's powers. But now it's like each of the seven kids all have a slightly different power set. And it sort of seems like he's doing the same thing he did with the color core Mm-hmm. In Green Lanterns, where he's kind of splitting the world into sections, and each section has kind of its own thing. And I don't know how on board I am for that. And I get that it's an interesting way to like introduce new characters and, and, and some diversity to the cast as well. I just... I'm enjoying this book, but I'm nervous about where it's going and how it will change these characters for the future of the DCU. I, I agree with much of that. So first of all, I mean, you called the Marvel family, but clearly not that anymore. One of my biggest problems with this book is I don't know who they are. Yep. Yeah. Captain Marvel is Shazam now. What is Mary Marvel's new name? Because it's not Mary Marvel. And what is Captain Marvel's Jr.? Is it just Shazam Jr.? They're not called anything. So I don't know who these characters are. If you're not a person with a lot of history of these characters, I think you'd be completely lost reading this book because they don't really give you any, any sort of backstory on, on any of them, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't even know what all their powers really are. Right, and that's the issue I'm having. Is it like the way you could split it up is they each get one of the letters, but then right. what's the point? Like, isn't the whole point that he's Earth's Mightiest Mortal because he has all seven right. or six? And then, I, I, yeah, like the dude who gets Solomon is just stuck sitting around being wise. Like, I don't know. I need I need some clarification. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem like dropping you in the middle of the story and figuring out as long as as they drop you after they drop you in the story, they start giving you information. I feel like we haven't really had any real information here. I know there was a mini series previous to this that this sort of came out of, but it just feels that they didn't really reset things. They just sort of threw us into an adventure. We don't have all the information. I don't, I don't know all the characters' names. I don't really know their power sets, and it's hard to really enjoy it when I'm trying to figure out all the stuff that's not being told. Yeah. But it seems like this is something Johns has wanted to do for a while, because I feel like didn't in, in the Flashpoint series, wasn't there a similar riff on this where it was like a bunch of different people with yeah. Shazam powers? Yes. So for whatever reason, he seems really gung-ho on making this a thing. If they all have one of the powers, but Billy has all of them, which makes him the most powerful, then that's that's fine. But That's Captain Planet. You're describing Captain Planet. I guess. But 
my point is that's fine if, as long as that's what you're doing, but at least tell us what you're doing. I just don't feel like I'm being given enough information here. Yeah, and, and there's all this thing with different magical lands that are connected to the Rock of Eternity, and the Rock of Eternity is kind of a train station now, which, okay, fine. Billy Batson, you know, originally got to the Rock of Eternity on the subway. That's yeah. that's kind of a neat thing. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I just, yeah, I, it feels like I'm getting a lot of setup to a lot of new ideas without actually being given what the foundational core of the book is first. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If this was like the second arc, that would make mm -hmm. more sense. And I guess, again, if, if you're considering this, the Shazam miniseries, the first arc, but you know, not everyone's going to have read that miniseries. And I, again, I read that miniseries and I don't know what Captain Marvel's junior's name is. I don't know what Mary Marvel's new name is. And they spent this entire issue in sort of a, let's, can we just call it I Hate Fairyland? <laughs> yeah. In the previous issue, there's this big cliffhanger that like a guy claiming to be Billy Batson's dad has shown up in the real world. I feel like you could have done an entire arc where we get to know this family and these new characters centered around that mm -hmm. as your inciting incident. But it seems to have, yeah, I think you're right. It does feel like it's dove into a second arc without finishing or even giving us a first one. Yeah, it's just bizarre, especially when, you know, outside of the story, it's such a, they made such a big deal of now Captain Marvel's Shazam. They're not calling it Captain Marvel anymore for obvious reasons. Fine, but he's got a whole family all based on that naming convention. What are their names now? I don't know that the reasons are obvious. It was decades of litigation. <laughs> That's I mean, the obvious reason is the, yeah. the Marvel part. If you have a whole family whose names were based on that, then... What are their new names? Yeah. I mean, there's characters in this book. He just calls them by their civilian names, which is fine, right. but they're superheroes. At the end of the day, they, they are still superheroes. So what are their names? It's frustrating. Solomon, Achilles, Atlas, Mercury. Maybe. Because I do love these characters, and I, you know, this is the only book Jeff Johns is writing, and it's nice to see Dale Eaglesham. It's okay. You're getting, you sound like you're getting emotional over there. Are you okay? I'm just I'm getting very verklempt about it. We're going to get you through this. Yeah. And let's take a break and talk about Mac Weldon. We've told you many times before, Mac Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now, whether it's socks or shirts or underwear. It all looks good, performs well, because Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. We've been talking a lot over the years or so about the great underwear, but there's some new stuff happening at Mac Weldon that we were so excited about that I had to call Josh while he's on vacation to talk to him about it. Hello, Josh. I understand that you'd like to talk to me about my pants. I would like to talk to you about your pants. So, you know, previously we've talked more than I think anyone would ever thought about our underwear preferences. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever thought we would talk about this much about our underwear preferences, but we have. But there's other things Mac Weldon has in store, and we've been wearing them recently. What have you been wearing? We've been wearing the Ace sweatpant and the Radius pant, or I assume if you're in the UK, the trouser. Just want to make that clear for our UK <laughs> listeners. I'm going to tell you, I'm not a sweatpant person. Yeah. When I get up in the morning, I put jeans on or pants immediately. I don't leave the house in anything like that. I have worn the Ace sweatpant out of the house. I traditionally not been a sweatpant person. But what I am is when I get home from work, mm -hmm. I like to take the, the selvage jeans off huh? because they're great looking. But you don't want to lounge all day in them. And I put on – traditionally, I'd put on like workout pants, mm -hmm. what we, we used to call queen's pants. Some of us never stop calling Sure. But I've been wearing these sweatpants a lot at home. They're very comfortable. They're very soft and yet also dense. Yes. It's a very nice fabric, useful zipped pockets. That was the fun surprise was the pockets. Because yeah. often the sweatpants pockets are useless. Uh -huh. But these have a nice zipper on them. And also, listen, modern sweatpants have a problem. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of kids on the road with their sweatpants, and I think those look awful now. These don't have that problem. They call it a modern fit, but they're basically just kind of a fit. I want to say a slim fit, you know, like a little, little taper to the bottom, but not ridiculously so. No. I feel contemporary, uh, but not like I have like the big old baggy sweatpants, you know, of, of my youth or anything like that. It just it's a functional fit that also kind of looks like regular clothes, if that makes sense. Super soft French terry cloth. Really, nice. uh, really comfortable, really kind of stylish for sweatpants, and I've been wearing them a lot. I've had to wash them already several times because that's and they're holding up. They're still soft. I've yes. washed mine too. Yes, because my son had a sickness incident, and they came out of that just fine. Also, just I have to, I have to mention it. Metal tips on the drawstring. Mm. It's class. It's a class move. <laughs> I've also had the radius pant. 
Yes. The radius pant is a little more like an outdoors technical thing. In years past, you might have almost called it a wind pant, but it's a little better than that. They're meant for outdoor wear and they're meant for travel. You see a lot of people wearing like pants that are comfortable on a plane, but also can look professional if you wear it with the right shirt. And that's yeah. what these pants are designed for. I have a I have a pair of these. I have some pairs of these that from other brands. So these are sort of like I use them for outdoor activities a lot because even if it's really cold out, if you wear like a heavy snow pant or something, you get too hot. Mm-hmm. So like if you're going snowshoeing or or like I use like a clearing the driveway and stuff like that because it's winter here sure. uh, where I live. And I, I wore these all all day one day the other day during a snowstorm, sort of out and about and and do my thing. And again, the zippers on the pockets and everything. But they've got you know a snap and a zipper and belt loops and, and all that stuff. And you can put like, I bought actually bought a pair of their, uh, their tights uh, mm-hmm. that I wear under them as sort of a little bit of insulation. Um, or you could use like a, like a Merino sort or like a wool, you know, like under, uh, long johns, that kind of thing under them. If you wanted to do stuff outdoors, these are meant to wick away moisture on the outside yep. and a quick drying on the inside. And yeah, so not just winter, you could use them in the summer too, but you can yeah. sort of layer them with other stuff to, to do that. You could wear them bike riding. I mean, you could, you could, yeah. there's a lot you can do with them. They're a very That's, versatile pant. That tapered bottom bit is actually really good for the bikes. So you're not getting caught in the, in the chain ring. If you need that sort of an all weather solution to that. I also dig those. I'm really glad that I have these. So we like the pants. Josh likes the pants so much. He called in from his vacation. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go back to what you're doing and we'll continue to tell people how they can find these pants. All right. I'm, co- I'm coming. All right. I got to go. All right, so if you want to check out those pants, go to MacWolden.com and a promo code iFanboy at checkout, and you get 20% off your first order. You owe it to yourself that you get some nice, premium, relaxing pants to go with your great underwear, socks, shirts. Now they got the whole, they got the whole outfit. You can be comfortable all day long, no matter what you're doing. MacWolden.com, promo code iFanboy. I feel like it's been forever since we've talked about Black Hammer or read a Black re- Hammer book. Well, there have been a lot of... Uh, There's spin-offs. been specials and spinoffs, but I feel like the regular yeah. story. I mean, and it could be my old age kicking in, but I no, just, I don't think you're wrong. I don't. I just I, I just came out and I was like, when is the last time I read like Black Hammer: Age of Doom number seven? This is number eight we're talking about. When did seven come out? I don't even know anymore. So it was a little confusing in the beginning because I, they are in a new reality. So I was like, wait, what? I mean, I figured it out pretty quickly. It just was, I couldn't remember the last time this, an issue of this came out. It could have been a month ago, for all I know, and it's just that my brain is not trained to think that's been a long time. Yeah, and this issue did kind of a soft reset that I'm struggling to rationalize why this book needed a soft reset when we were in the middle of what was a very compelling story to me. And I love this book, and I love mm-hmm. this series. This series is scratching an itch for me that I didn't know that I had. Mm-hmm. I am excited for where this book and all the connected arcs eventually go, because I think this is going to be something really special in the end of it, but this issue perplexed me a little bit. I thought this was one of Demon Orbson's best work. There were a lot of pages in this book that looked really terrific. I don't know if he's doing something different. There's a lot of cross-hatching. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of great double-page spreads in here with the, the big 50 sci-fi spaceships page, and there's a the, the final reveal where, where Doc, the robot shows up. Walkie-talkie. Walkie-talkie. Walkie-walkie. That's a great page. And all the scenes on Mars, the, the not John Jones scenes. Oh, yeah, those are great. Really terrific. Mark Marks. Mark Marks. You know, they're all off in a new reality. I forgot. I think at the end of – didn't she go – didn't she go into like some sort of sleep realm or something and then she opened the door and went through it in the last issue? That seems to be what my brain's remembering. And actually, this is where she is. We found out that they were in stasis pods. Right. And that's what the farm reality was. And then – But in their some, sleep, in, in their heads, they were, they were being controlled by some sort of dreaming-esque character, if I recall. Because she went into that magical house. Oh, yeah. They did like a uh, ha- uh, house of mystery yeah. sort of issue where it was like stories are all connected and that whole thing. And I feel like at the end of that issue, she went through a new door and this is where we are now. Well, the last issue. I, oh, I, no, wait, that's six. I could make, be making this up completely. Yeah. Either way, they're all in this new world where they're living mundane lives. All these heroic characters, you know, one's, one's a night watchman. Uh, she works at a pizza place instead of being a, a investigative reporter and. Uh, John Jones is making me realize I might have missed an issue. <laughs> That's <laughs> John, okay. <laughs> John Jones is Mark Marks. Mark Marks is uh, you know being persecuted on this planet for being gay, and and so now they're all and so you know now they're all live instead of living this mundane life in a small town, they're all living a mundane life in whatever the name of the city separate. is. So they're not stuck together; they're all separate, and it's Spiral Spiral City. That's the name of it. And so they're all going to come together again. You're, I mean, you're right. It's it's a little interesting to sort of recreate the 
old paradigm in a new environment, but clearly it's not going to last quite that long. You know, yeah. by the end of this issue, they've already figured out that something's wrong and they're getting together. So, and now we're getting another spinoff from the world of Black Hammer, Black Hammer 1945, which I'm excited for. There's a whole cottage industry around Black Hammer. I think there's also going to be a spinoff for Colonel Weird. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of them. Yeah. The Amazing Adventures of Colonel Weird, Black Hammer 45. I love the Starman one. That was mm-hmm. great. Yeah, they've been really, really good. You know, I've been pitching this book a lot to people and mm-hmm. when asked, this is this has become my go-to if you're not reading Black Hammer, I want people to be reading Black Hammer. And yep. my pitch is sort of, this is Jeff Lemire doing his Invincible or his Astro City. This is him taking a, a superhero universe that has obvious callbacks to the long storied history of DC and Marvel, but putting his own Jeff Lemire spin on it. Yeah, I mean, I it's, it. it's pretty close to Silver Age DC. I would call it his Astro City. Yeah. Just because it's so obviously taking on these archetypes. But I actually haven't read the Quantum Age one yet. I have that all on my iPad. I haven't read it yet. I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's that X-Men Legion of Superheroes sort of style. But it's interesting. He's got this whole sort of Jeff Lemire universe happening at Dark Horse. And I couldn't be happier. It's very, very good. Even if, even if it was a little confusing in the beginning, it's a very, very good issue. Uh, Action Comics 1008. Brian Michael Bendis, Steve Epting on art. So here all the government agencies are sort of collapsing under the, under the attacks of Leviathan, the mysterious group that's been in the background the whole time. And I wanted to mention this because... Why did I want to mention this? Steve Epting draws a much older-looking Superman. Yeah, which is interesting because he, he didn't look like that in the last issue. I was really worried that they had decided to like whitewash Amanda Waller for a good couple of pages. And then it was revealed that that was a hologram. And I was like, oh, good. Phew, I was <laughs> oh, I, I love the fact that one of the unforeseen benefits or, or, or nice consequences to Bendis moving over to DC has been the resurgence of Adam Strange, mm-hmm. who keeps showing up now in these Bendis books. And here he shows up to help the DEO. And then the DEO is attacked by Leviathan. And it's just nice to have him there all the time in his wacky Silver Age outfit. Did Colonel Lane die? No, I think he was wearing some sort of protective force field. And he just sort of passed out? Yeah, I guess so. That's probably I don't know. Like the, the Colonel Lane stuff, it's weird to me. It looks like he's captured by somebody at the some end. giant. The Colonel Lane stuff is weird to me. I don't, I don't love the whole I'm Lois Lane's dad, but I hate Superman thing. Mm-hmm. And in the last issue, Lois told him yep. that Clark is Superman, uh, which seems like a really bad call yeah it did i mean that's how you up the, the only way to up the tension really at this point because he's playing the same record he's he hates superman but now he knows his beloved son-in-law is superman so how does that track? i don't know that he ever really liked clark that much but he does love his grandson right are you still liking this better than the, the superman book to me this is the stronger one but they're both good if i had to pick one it'd be this one it was a great ending you know whenever superman gets mad it's fun he gets mad when Amanda Waller shows up in the dead of night at their apartment. You are unbelievable. And, and when he yells as Clark, his like cowlick falls down. Yeah. And he has the S on the forehead. Oh, so good. The next issue, the question. That'll be fun. Wait, do we have, is it, was it Vic? No. It's not, Rene, it's not Renee Montoya, is it? No, it's Vic. The Flash 65. The final issue of, what is it called? I keep forgetting. The, the Price. Part the two. Price. The Price is... More buttons. Joshua Williamson, Rafa Sandoval. And, uh, I mean, to me, this is only worth talking about because this is setting up some the, the next big sort of DC event, which is the, the year of the villain, which appears to be some sort of riff on Armageddon 2001 in which one of the heroes has gone bad and they're, they are the villain. So we have a flash forward in the near future in which Batman and Superman, and this is the epilogue of this issue, are looking at a screen with all their fellow heroes on it, and they're talking about how one of them has gone bad, and they need to figure it out. And they, Superman asks, why don't we get the Flash to help, because he's such a great cop. And they're like, because mm. at the end of this issue, the Flash hates Batman. For me, this issue is worth talking about, because Barry and Bruce have an argument in the cave at the end of the climax. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, like, Barry's right about complaining that these costumes don't actually keep the people we love safe. The people we love end up joining this life with us and then they get hurt too. Mm -hmm. And Barry's right. And then Iris leaves Barry and leaves him a dear John letter where she explains basically the same thing that like, you keep saving my life. I'm going to go live it. Which I actually thought was a pretty nice turn of phrase. Mm -hmm. 
And the problem is they're both right, but if you acknowledge their correctness, then you destroy the central conceit of most superheroes. I mean, that's sort of the problem with modern comics, right? Is they, p- people keep wanting to break them down, but by breaking them down, you start to break them. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of you know postmodernism in comics, yeah. the next book on the list here. <laughs> it was a little bit of a low blow to Barry to say you'll have another dead Robin on your hands, although this one would be fine if he died. It just, it just, it just seems, it just seems out of character. This argument. I get that the Flash is grieving, and I also know that it's not true. However, the entire thing about everyone hating Batman because he brought people to the to sanctuary feels like a meta commentary on the whole sanctuary situation. But it's obviously not. I get that you have to create tension and drama, but again, to reference Josh, he hates it when the heroes hate each other. And it just seems to be the go-to thing these days is just to make everyone hate each other. It's much more fun when they're working together against villains. And I don't know what the compulsion is to make, instead of using the villains to have the heroes that be at constantly at odds with each other. But I don't know if that's more postmodernism or not. It's just kind of tiring. Well, you're going to get a whole year of the villain, apparently. Having one hero turn bad is not necessarily a bad thing and having this the story about trying to figure out who that is is not necessarily a bad thing but it's just when they all hate batman for this contrived reason of this event storyline that doesn't really fit into the world of dc it's just kind of annoying but it is what it was this the price crossover was not as successful as the button agreed but it's also this arc and storyline the price only really succeeded in reminding me that we liked the button, but we still have no clue what it was really about. Well, that, that was my thought while reading this issue was, hey, remember uh, Doomsday Clock? That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. Did it end? No, it didn't end. Did it matter? Apparently not. Let's talk about Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt number two. This was a patron pick, the first issue that Josh and I read. Josh said he was going to check out the second issue. I said I was not. I did not. You did. How's it going? It's just, it's so surreal to be reading... Kind of Kieran Gillen's riff on Watchmen, which was a riff on Charlton Comics. Mm-hmm. It's a double riff. Double riff. He remixed the remix. It's back to normal. <laughs> and that's a Mitch Hepburn joke. Credit where credit's due. I think this works, and it's weird that it does work, and it's weird that this book is coming out, you know, in this gap between issues of Doomsday Clock. Yep. And like I said, Kieran's a smart enough guy to make this book work, which is to its credit, because I'm not sure many other writers could could step into those shoes. And the whole experience of reading it, I'm finding very surreal because, it, you know, it's it's to to quote the great George Lucas. It's like poetry. It rhymes. But I haven't quite figured it all out yet. What, so are you enjoying it? Is it fun? Is it good? It's more just I'm fascinated. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it more than I'm enjoying it yet well the first issue was very watchman in which a character who is osmanius is based on yeah is there's an alien invasion that he needs to help it was it, very shades of watchman in terms of an, an outside attack bringing it together a world that was at, this at, is this odds. is also still very watchman apparently they're they're putting in wicked and divine references in the art uh which i did i only caught because i follow kieran on tumblr because i'm not up on Wicked and Divine right now. But like there's there's weird Watchmen notes where like the the weird cyborgy character pukes on a circular yellow table and then it zooms out and it looks just like the ketchup stain on hmm. the Watchmen weird comedian button. Yeah. And then it does get into like Kieran Gillen zaniness with the comic book form where to travel between dimensions they essentially draw panel borders around all the characters and then like those drawn panels kind of fall through the comic into different worlds which feels very karen gillen more than it does alan moore feels very Um, grant morrison it also is very grant morrison yep so yes i'm still in i'm still enjoying this but mostly i'm enjoying it from a just like this is so weird and i'm just kind of fascinated by the weirdness and surreality of it all it is weird that's for sure yeah it ends on a very rorschach dr manhattan thing Hmm. is it a miniseries i do not know i never like i pay attention who knows anymore i know right (laughs) So that was a patron pick, but this week's patron pick is decided by the patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's where all the patrons who join up at any level can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week, the overwhelming choice was Mage, the Hero Denied, number 15, with art and story by Matt Wagner, colors by Brendan Wagner, and letters by Dave Lanfear. And this is the final issue of Matt Wagner's opus that started 35 years ago. It's been three different miniseries. 
encompasses about six volumes of trades. So it hasn't been every, obviously, it has not been the entire 35 years. It's just been over the course of 35 years he's been doing this story. Have you read any issues of Mage other than this one, Ryan? I, I feel like I've read one of the original issues back in the day, like when I worked in a comic shop and was just mm-hmm. trying to absorb everything. Right. And then I think I read the first issue of this series just to see if it was the kind of thing I could jump into from here, and it's not, so I didn't. So it's interesting for you to be reviewing the final issue of a 35-year saga. And I've only read this miniseries. So you actually stuck with this miniseries. Oh, yeah. I read every issue. Mage's book I always wanted to check out. I like Matt Wagner a hell of a lot. This is his Cerebus. This is his Strangers in Paradise. And so I have the first two trades. I have the original miniseries and trades. I don't have the second one yet. And I read all of this one. So I'm doing it completely out of order. I'm getting the end of the story before I get the beginning, which was an interesting exercise. And there was a moment where I thought about making this the pick of the week. This was a giant oversized issue. But I thought it would be disingenuous to do so because I don't have all of the emotional ramifications from this issue. I thought this issue was really, really good. It's just that, you know, I don't know all these characters all that well, especially the ones that sort of show up at the end to help save the day. And so I don't quite get the resonance that I would get if I'd read every issue. And so I felt like I'd be a bit of a poser having picked it. And nevertheless, though, I thought this was terrific. Kevin Matchstick has been... He is the uh, Pendragon. He has the power of Excalibur. He calls upon it. He hold, when he holds an, an object, he can turn it into Excalibur. And he's been fighting demons who have been trying to attack him. He, in the beginning of his story, he was living a quiet life in the suburbs and not being bothered. But then, he, but then the uh, the magic world, of course, would not leave him alone. And he and his wife, his wife is a is a is a witch, trying to protect their kids from the demons. And this is where they all come together after the the wife and one of the kids have been kidnapped by the demons. And he finally saves the day. I don't really want to spoil the ending in case there's people who haven't read it, because it is the final chapter of the saga, but it took a couple of twists and turns that I enjoyed. There was, of course, a price to pay for saving the day. It's not really a spoiler to know that the day was saved. I really liked it. I just, I really like Matt Wagner's art a lot. I've always liked his art a lot. It's on the cartoony side of the comic side. It's not realistic at all. But it's also not unrealistic. It's just it's just very cartoony. His family dynamics are really strong. And this character, Kevin Matchstick, who looks exactly like Matt Wagner, has aged along with him. He's gone from 90s mullet hair to male pattern baldness at the end. You don't often see a heroes that look like that in comics. This is fun. I mean, these kind of stories aren't necessarily always my cup of tea. Magic and demons and things like that. But the reality of the characters sort of grounded it for me, and I found myself really satisfied by this issue, even only having read this miniseries. Yeah, I've always enjoyed Matt Wagner as a storyteller, even if I didn't necessarily get fully into this story. Yeah. But I've always really loved his art and think that he has a very strong voice for all the characters that he creates or writes, you know, the, the times that he's taken on Batman or that book he did that was the whole Trinity. Yeah, Trinity was a great book. Trinity was great. I think it's one of the better interpretations of those three characters yep. how, and how they function in concert. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this particular issue didn't mean a whole lot to me, but it seemed <laughs> like a nice send-off for all the characters involved. I did read it all the way through, because mm-hmm. that's the game. But, yeah, it's I mean, it's never not nice to just look through a Matt Wagner book. Yeah. You know, there was big action. There was uh, moments of intense drama, of psychological drama. There was some really terrific panels in this issue, and he's a terrific artist. He's only gotten better throughout the years. So, even though I didn't necessarily know who the you know the the sort of sprite who shows up at the end to save the day is and and uh, you know the name didn't do anything for me it was still it tracked you know you don't necessarily need to know all the details to enjoy this story yeah you were speaking of feeling like a poser at the end they are now selling in addition to the classic mage t-shirt with the the white black t-shirt with the white lightning bolt on it they have the hoodie that his son is wearing in the final scene of the book and i was thinking to myself of like well i kind of like that hoodie (laughs) 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 but but again I would feel like a poser because I haven't fully absorbed this entire... Well, I don't know. It's only six volumes. You could do that. I could. And you've already read the final issue. Yep, so I know where it's going. You could wear the hoodie and just only talk about the final issue whenever anybody brings it up. Oh, cool mage hoodie. Yeah, how was that final issue? That was great. And then run away. This felt like a big deal. He had a long letters column at the end, an extra long one. It was an, it was an extra long issue. Very, very long. It was like three times as big as a regular issue. This is a run to be proud of. This is... One of those runs that started in the 90s when, you know, you had a lot of indie books, you know, sort of creator creator opuses outside the, the big two happening. And it continued in, in drips and drabs throughout the years. Like Image has been reprinting 
the original runs. Uh, that's where I got the first two volumes from. Actually, to get three and four. Uh, you know, having read this this volume and really like it, I'm looking forward to now to reading those other volumes and seeing him in his all of, all of his molded glory. All of his so early, early so this might be the glory. first time where the sticking with it question is in reverse. Yeah, I mean, because there's no more issues of this. So let's do the ratings on it. Ratings out of five. I need you to go first on this one. I'm scared. Oh, a, I didn't even see this. There's a great picture at the end of him sort of sitting with all the original art around him, which is pretty cool. I'm going to give it a four and a half. And I'm going to take off a half a point because, you know, again, I don't know all the, you know, it wasn't all emotionally resonant for me, but I thought it was a terrific issue and a terrific miniseries. So I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. I'm also going to give it four and a half. Wow. All right. And so are you going to ever go back and read more Mage? That'd be the sticking with it question. Uh, not, it's not on my immediate future reading list. All right. Well, I, I have the first two trades on my to do to read stack. And as anyone who followed iFanboy through the years know, that stack is mighty. So one day I'll get to it. And uh, one day I'll get, I'll get the third and fourth volumes. And I'll, uh, one day I'll have read it all. I, I do want to read it all. So one day I will. And that's the Patreon pick over patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's how you can vote for that. And also, that's where you can help us get to our next stretch goal, which is the monthly non-comics media podcast that we'll do. People like Ryan will guest star on it. We'll talk about things that aren't comics. It'll be fun. In addition to that, We'll upload the missing full-length video shows and minis to our YouTube channel that were taken offline by our old distributor. If you want to see those old shows, there's hours and hours and hours and hours. Next stretch goal. So patreon.com slash ifanboy. Thank everyone uh, who supports us there. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com. So we got our t-shirt designs. You can get the, There's seven designs you can get on t-shirts and other items. Ifanboy logo, her and Pick of the Week podcast ratings. If one is Electro, GDAT, and Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters. I just got my GDAT and Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters t-shirts the other day. I hadn't ordered them, and they're terrific. I'm looking forward to wearing one this weekend, I think. I think that's what I'm going to do. Ifanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out via PayPal directly if you would wish to. And Ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can check out uh, the links to buy the books we talk about in the books below, as well as the general Amazon shopping link. We thank everyone who helps us out. All the ways to keep Ifanboy going. We do appreciate it. Thanks for that. Let's do another patron thing here. The patrons who give at the $5 or higher level, Ryan... Get their own superpower live on the show. I know I'm this, aware. I know you're always excited to do this when you come on the show. I mean, apparently I'm getting accused now of breaking it, um, of breaking your toy with my <laughs> with my powers that I give out, which I don't think that I did. I deny that. that you mean the, the person who has all the powers? I guess. I don't know, because you were also annoyed with the breathing underwater thing, as was the person who got that power. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming down around my ears, I guess. But. Well, as long as you don't give out Superman's powers this week. Matthew Chartrand. Chartrand. I apologize, Matthew. Uh, Matthew is always comfortable. So if he sat on like a hard wooden chair for hours, it wouldn't bother him because to him, it's the most comfortable chair. That used to be a thing with the the X-Men. They would always, like, characters that crouched a lot, there'd always be a little line in their bio as part of their mutant power, like Nightcrawlers. One of his mutant powers was that he never had back pain from, like, always being crouched over. That's ridiculous. But that's what Matthew has. Yeah. Matthew... So he could join the X-Men. Yeah, he's saying. just... No matter what he's doing, he's comfortable. There's no stress position for Matthew. That's that's amazing. Like, I can stand here all day long. He would win all those Survivor games where people have to stand on little pegs and things he'd be fine always comfy sleep on a board sure uncomfortable bed in a hotel fine he's always comfortable he's always chill does that eventually like drive him insane like does he start doing things to try to make himself uncomfortable just so he'll feel something anything i can't imagine anyone ever complaining about being too comfortable <laughs> okay people are always searching for more comfort nick gutierrez knows the exact right day to buy plane tickets Hmm. Okay, that's a good one. So anytime, you know how like there's always that like, oh, do I wait a day? Yep. Do I? Mm -hmm. Did I? Did I wait too long? You know, right. where, where's the perfect point on the bell curve of buying tickets? Nick always knows exactly when to go. It doesn't matter the airline, doesn't matter the destination. Just he knows which day is the best day to do it. Now he might not always remember to do it, but if he thinks about it, he knows. He's got to put it into his calendar. Yeah. Like, does he know ahead of time, or does it just one day it hits him, this is the day to buy them? He knows ahead of time. Like, if, you, if I told him, hey, I need to go to, I, I have an international trip coming up in, like, October, mm -hmm. what day should I buy tickets for that trip? He would think about it for a second, and then he could tell me, buy your tickets on, you know, July 17th. Right. From this airline. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good power. It's economical. I, I would love to have that power. 
I think we all would. Brad Green is a human divining rod. Okay, so you're, he has no power because those things don't work. <laughs> right, but he actually does work. That's what. That's the thing. So, <sighs> so, so what can he divine? Just water? He only divines water. Does he have to? Does he use the stick just so he doesn't look no, out no, of no, place no, no, with no. all the he, other diviners? He just puts his hand out. No, but I'm saying like if he didn't want to give away that the power, you know, that whole after school special, the power was inside you all along. Sure, if he wanted to hide it from other people, he could. He could hold a stick up. I feel like when I was at Santa Cruz, there was a divining club, which shouldn't surprise anybody. <laughs> and I never, I never joined, but boy, was it amusing to see them walking around campus with their sticks. Trying to find water? Mm-hmm. Well, Brad could have been in that club. He could have been president of that club because he, 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 always, he always finds it. He knows, he knows where the water is. I mean, if you dig deep enough, <laughs> like it's just a well. <laughs> There's usually water. He would know the best place but the well. Okay. What happens if he's like out in the desert? Eventually somewhere there's water. So he would know the shortest path to walk to get to a source of water. He'd be able to find it. Wow. So that's pretty good. That's like a practical application there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott Goki. Gurki? Goki? Goki. I think it's Goki. It could be Gurki like Goethe. There's no R in it though. Yeah, but neither Goethe doesn't have an R in it. That's true. It's German. Scott is the refresher. Okay. He can refresh anything. Explain. Uh, I mean, you know, you got a you got a rotten orange. He can refresh that. You got you need a little more mm. coffee, a little more coffee in your cup. I'll refresh that. You need the elastic in your waistband wearing out. Refreshed. Battery no longer holding a charge as long as it did. Refresh. This is a wide ranging power. Did you forget that little bit of HTML code that you needed to like fix up your website? He can give you a refresher on HTML code. So. Not only does he refresh physical objects, but he can refresh knowledge? Mm-hmm. He's the refresher. Interesting. He has the, the platonic ideal of being refreshed. So after the gym, he could refresh my clothes? I wouldn't have to wash them? He could refresh your clothes, and he could refresh your muscles to prevent the lactic acid from building up and you being sore. Jeez. I know. If, and maybe your breath? You need you got a big meeting coming up? Sure. A, a refresher breath? Give you a little... What about like a shave? Empty. Ooh, I don't know about a shave. That might be the limit. <laughs> I don't know. That, does that count as refreshing? Well, I mean, I feel refreshed after my shave, especially with my Harry's razors. But what, I mean, you know, a little stubble comes out. I think he could mimic the sensation of aftershave, but mm-hmm. I think that's about it. So, so on the superhero team, Scotch back at the ha- back at the at the this headquarters, waiting for them to return, so he can refresh their 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 uniforms, their their muscles, their. I mean, Iron Man's probably got some batteries in the suit that need to be refreshed. Does he refresh Hawkeye's quiver? Ooh, does that count as refreshing? Or is that just refilling? Yeah, it's just refilling. That's not refreshing. But isn't that the same with batteries? No, 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 no. So refilling, he can't refill a battery. So if I have a dead battery, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be at 100% when he refreshes it. But if I have a battery that's old because it's running out of its usable cycles. I see. He can refresh it back to its... he's He's not giving it more charge. He's taking back its wear and tear. Yep. I see. So like the battery in my laptop is fully charged right now, but it also is in dire need of being refreshed because it is at the end of its lifespan. All right. Well, there you, there you go. It may be the inspiration for this power. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, Nick, Brad, and Scott. If you want to be a patron, get you on Patreon Power. Patreon.com slash FM. Boys, we're going to do it. Let's do one question. It's a long one. Brian from Zanesville, Ohio. In Miles Morales, Spider-Man number three, Steve Rogers is shown having trouble with his new smartphone, not understanding the apps. The implication being that Steve doesn't understand it because he's an old man from a different time. It's certainly not the first time I've seen Steve portrayed this way, but I'm not sure I buy that characterization. Steve was supposedly 25 when he was frozen. My understanding of the sliding timescale concept means that it's been roughly 15 years since the events of Fantastic Four number one. So let's go ahead and say it's also been about 15 years since Steve came out of the ice. This means he's about 40 years of total life experience. Smartphones have existed for 12 of those years. The original iPhone came out in 2007, which was three years after Steve was thawed out. Smartphones have been a thing for almost all of the modern-day portion of his life, and Steve is a smart person, so I don't buy that he would still be confused by normal, everyday consumer technology in 2019. When he was still fresh out of the ice, absolutely, but not by this point. The idea of a 40-year-old being out of touch with technology seems like an outdated concept. I'll turn 37 this year, and all of my peers are very comfortable with devices like phones and tablets. It's the parents of people my age who can sometimes struggle. You guys are also around my same age. What do you think? I hated that. I read it and hated it. Okay, so you didn't like it as a characterization? No, I think it's dumb. I think it's lazy. And I think he's right. You've got a guy who flies Quinjets and uses the computers at the headquarters and talks on giant monitors. 
it's not like he's fresh out of the ice. He's he's in the world, and he's in a world, a highly technical world. If you're telling me a guy who can fly the Avengers jet can't open an app on a smartphone, that's, to me, really lazy writing. And I was really disappointed because Saladin Ahmed's a really good writer, and I just found it such a lazy, hackneyed portrayal of Captain America that it doesn't make any sense in the context of of the world he's, he's shown in every day. Even if he's 40 years old, it doesn't really matter. The point is he's he's shown all the time using highly advanced technology. Yeah, I hear you. The problem is I have friends my age and older, but not at like an older enough to be my parents' generation who are really bad at using their phone and other bits of technology. So like, Right. For those people, sure, but Cap's shown to be using technology all the time. Yeah. Okay, I haven't read the issue. It's basically what it is. He had a smartphone. He had an app to do something that he needed to do. And he's like, oh, I can't. Uh, where is it? Like, what, what do I press? And it's just like, no, this is a guy who flies jets, highly advanced te- jets. This is a guy who uses the Avengers computer. This is a guy who hangs out with Iron Man. I mean, this is not a guy confounded by smartphones. It's as, it's as bad as that dumb MySpace thing during Civil War. Okay. I mean, that's my opinion on it. I, I, I'm not saying it's anybody else's opinion, but I, I agree with Brian. It's dumb. It does sound dumb the way you're describing it. I haven't read it. I think there's, there are people <laughs> who've had smartphones since that technology was available who still seem like they don't really know what they're doing with them. And sure. those people are not much older than me, if not my age. So um, it, I don't think it's a completely invalid interpretation. I don't think just because you were raised with something. There's uh, Asimov has some whole thing about how like the technology you grew up with is exactly the way the world is supposed to be. And then stuff that comes out between your 20s and 30s is like the greatest advancements that imaginable and exactly the sort of things you expected for the future. And then anything after your 30s or 40s is unnatural and wrong. Sure. (laughs) And so if you pitched it like that, I think maybe this interpretation could work a little better. If you're just pitching it that Steve's kind of a dummy, I agree. That's not really valid. The sliding timescale thing is kind of like what we talked about earlier if you think about it too hard it'll break the whole thing but if you take that as what's happened he was out of the ice at 25 the first iphone came out when he was 28 years old a version a version of this conceit that i thought actually did work is mark wade's daredevil run when somebody shows him something on a tablet and he just goes so can you tell me what that is or like well here just look at it. he's like yeah can you just tell me though <laughs> Cause, sure because you can't read it but that's that that makes sense because that's his limitation but it just i know but the to... thing the thing with daredevil is daredevil used to be able to like read the newspaper just by running his fingers over he didn't even need braille because his, his sensitivity was sure. so high but yeah. once everything transitioned to a screen like you know so there's there's ways to do that sort of the modern world with limited superheroes that does work. It sounds like it just didn't work in this instance because it was. Yeah, because it's just an easy joke where he's he's the old man out of time. But the problem is he's been he's been back for a while. You know, it's not like it's he's it's not like he's only been back for a month. Yeah. So I, I just I didn't buy. It. I thought it was really bad writing, and I had the same reaction Brian did. If you want to send us an email, contact at ifanboy.com is the best way to do it. It's the only way to do it, really. And uh, we thank everyone who does so. Let's do some plugs before we get out of here. Josh interviewed Joe Caramagna, as, as Ryan mentioned earlier on the show, for his latest Talksplode. He had an interesting conversation with him about, you know, sort of the old days at Marvel and, and editing, I mean, and lettering and all kinds of, and Joe's also a writer and artist, so he had a lot of interesting things to say. You can find that in the feed, a couple of shows behind this one. And our next special edition show will be Captain Marvel, which comes out next week, so the show will be out shortly after that. Don't know exactly when, but depends. Are you excited for it? I am. I'm, I'm very excited for it. Nice. I also do a podcast called Science Sort Of. If you go check that out at sciencesort.com or on iTunes or your preferred podcatcher of choice, you can listen to that show. We just put out an episode in part about dunes. Not the, not the sci-fi novel, sand. but actual sand and other, other things can form dunes on other planets. Like methane crystals on Titan. So that's kind of cool. Well, it's just the, the it's just wind and particles, right? Anything. It can also be water. It doesn't have it, it, any fluid medium. Well, sure. Wind, or, wind or wind or water will, will push the particles into dunes, right? Yeah. 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 But it's kind of cool that like dunes are this emergent l- landform that appears under certain pretty specific conditions yet are relatively common around the solar system. So fun discussion with uh, two guys I was in grad school with back at, at Wyoming, as well as some talk about Arctic tundra permafrost carbon emissions and science lobbying. And, and uh, yeah, it's a good time. Go check it out. 
All right, head over to ifanboy.com. That's where you can find all of the podcasts we just mentioned. The Cap- uh, not Captain Marvel. That'll be there next week. But Talksplode and the Booksplodes and all the other shows we do. You can also find what the Pick of the Week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following us at ifanboy on Twitter. And individually, Josh is Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram. I am C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. And you are Ryan Haupt on Instagram, correct? I am. And Haupt on Twitter? I am. Okay, I'm, I'm always proud that I remember that. Even though originally I had it swapped in the, in the script. If you dig the show, write us or leave a review or star rating on iTunes. It does not take long, and it is very helpful to actually getting uh, the show well-placed in the iTunes store, which is getting ever more crowded ever since Serial uh, invented podcasting. It's only gotten more crowded. Mm -hmm. But also tell your friends. It's word of mouth that really gets podcasts out there. I think most people, when they're looking for new podcasts, are relying on recommendations from their friends. Trusted sources. Spread the word around the comic shop. Wear your Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters to your Wednesday pickup. And people will ask, oh, that's a funny shirt. Where'd you get it? Oh, it's this podcast I like. And they sell shirts. So just, you know, spread the word that way. It's important. It helps. It's a good shirt, Ryan. I'm, you should get one. I'm gonna. My wife has put a moratorium on new t-shirt <laughs> purchases until I get a little Marie Kondo on my current t-shirt drawer, which I am loathe to do because I philosophically have problems with the idea that I should just be throwing out all this stuff I still like. But, um... Yeah, that's neither here nor that's a it's, different podcast. A different pod. It seems to be a common refrain. Apparently, this is a golden age of going to secondhand stores because everyone's getting rid of stuff they like. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, go check out your local consignment shop, I guess. But in the meantime, I'm Connor. I'm Ryan, and I'll be clicking every Florida man headline to make sure it's not Josh. Hey.